Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Book of Acts, chapter 4. While you're turning to that passage in the book of Acts, let you know that I'll be away from the pulpit next Sunday, so I'll be out this week. And Dave Scott will be bringing the morning message. So he always does such a good job, so I hope you come and support him. So that's next Sunday. Acts chapter 4, you can see on screen we're talking about the necessity of reproduction and how we are literally born to reproduce. Acts chapter 4. And of course, the book of Acts is the history of the early church, primarily of the early church and its experiences in regenerating and making new Christians. And that was their goal, and they understood that very clearly. So we'll be talking about the day. Acts chapter 4. As always, we take a few moments to pray. Pray for those that you know of in our church and in your family that needs prayer. Pray especially for Rose Hart and her family. Uh, she's had some surgery. Toy, her daughter has had some surgery. So pray for them as they heal and develop some other things. And others in our congregation are going, going through some hard times. So pray for them. Pray for our culture. We're having trouble deciding how we want to be and who we want to be. So pray that God can have a voice. In times past, the church had a lot of influence. I'm not so sure it does anymore. We've lost a lot of that. Pray that God could somehow have a voice. That his people would stand up and lead, not by coercion or necessarily government power, but by influence. You know, always the best way for God's people to lead is to show them that there is a better way of life than what the world would choose. So pray that we could do that. Of course, there are other concerns. The ongoing conflict in Ukraine and Syria and the eastern nations. Pray for peace. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me, please, as we pray? Father, again, we voice our prayers to you. We take this time to open up ourselves to your teaching and your influence. We open your word. We study. Try to apply those teachings to our lives. That we might honor you. That we might serve your kingdom. That we might have you to be more of a leader in our lives. We come before you, Father, a broken people. We need your help in so many ways. As a nation, we are broken and failing. As a world, we are broken and failing. Lord, help us. Help us to hear your message of grace and compassion towards others. Help us to declare your message of salvation in Jesus. Give us wisdom and strength and compassion for others. Father, we know that many in our congregation struggle with 
We pray that you would be with them. Help them to keep their families together. Bring healing to those that are sick. Give encouragement and hope to those who are in family distress or looking for jobs. Guide them, Father. We ask that people would sense you at work in their lives and learn to understand the way you are working and can work every day. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. Lord, we are sinful people. Even at our best, we are tainted. Our motives are impure. We harbor ill feelings towards others. Sometimes we surprise ourselves with the depravity in our hearts. Forgive us, Father. Cleanse us as only you can. As always, we ask for your blessings upon our leaders, those who have power over us. Give them wisdom and discernment and guidance. Help them to seek truth. Help them to seek unification of peoples behind the truth. Help us, Father, to discern that which is false in our culture. We pray for our soldiers, first responders, those that help others. Protect them in their services. Use them. They give comfort and save lives. And Lord, just help us. In so many ways, we are broken. We need your help. Today, teach us of the urgent need to share our faith with others and to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this message, for entrusting it to us. And we pray for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To reproduce is just part of life, isn't it? Think about what you read when you watch National Geographic, when you read about people. Species, all species are driven to reproduce. Plants, animals, people. It's what we must do. As long as we follow that idea that we must reproduce, we do fine. As soon as we reject that idea that we must reproduce, we die. On screen are some pictures. These are shakers. Anybody ever heard of shakers before? They're Amish people. They were a break off from the Amish. You remember the Amish? Good, solid Christian folk from the 1700s. In the later 1700s, a group of people broke away from the Quakers. And uh, the, the problem was that the Quakers were very quiet during service. Quakers were good Baptists. They sat there and doing a really rousing sermon, they go, uh-huh, uh-huh. They might go amen, but uh-huh was about all you got in a Quaker service. And generally, they shied away from that sort of thing. Shakers were Quakers that were Pentecostal. Now, no one used that term in those days with Shakers, but Quakers were, Shakers were Pentecostal Quakers, if you can imagine. On screen is a picture, and they did this thing, and we can go to that next frame if you want to, and they stood up, and they looked at each other, and they were a very rigid formation, but would they get up there, and they would essentially dance. And it was a very proscribed dance, and they would do everything, and they would shake their hands, and they would shake their bodies and shake their feet and they would dance and make tapping noses on the floor. And it was a chorus line, really, with a Christian flair. And they did that and they were called shakers because of that. And, of course, the original Quakers didn't want any part of it because they didn't do that sort of nonsense. You know, you can't sit there like this and get too excited. And these people were excited. Interestingly enough, the, the shakers were really an interesting group of people. 
they separated from everybody. And some of the things that they did were really interesting because they accepted women in leadership positions. They had this notion, which was crazy at the time, that men and women were absolutely equal. That women could teach, lead, own businesses, handle money, and they were equal to men in all respects. They had these other ideas. People of all colors were welcome. Very rare in 1700s America. And they had, in some of these pictures, you'll see that there are African Americans there, slaves. They were against slavery. So if there were Africans there, they were no longer slaves. They were freemen. And they were welcomed into the Quaker group, Shaker group. And they were just seen as equals. So people from Cuba, people from Africa, people from South America would fit in with this group of white folk, Pentecostal shakers, and they would be seen as absolute equals. They were absolutely equal. They were absolutely honest. They were absolutely Bible-based. And they isolated themselves because no one was ready for that stuff yet. And then because they were isolated, they became very self-sufficient. Now, some of you know what shakers are famous for. They're not necessarily famous for shaking. They're famous for their furniture. I don't think I... Yeah. You've probably own a couple of chairs like this. One of the most popular forms of furniture in human history is shaker chairs. They're plain. They're not ornate at all. And they had a whole idea of architecture which was devoid of any kind of frills. It was, it was beautiful. It was perfect. And that chair, chair you see, a split bottom cane chair with rod straight arms and legs and back, became world famous. In fact, is they made hundreds of thousands of those chairs and exported them all over the world, even into the early 1800s. In fact, is they were so popular that there were knockoffs. There were Quaker Shaker knockoff chairs. And Walmart sold them. No, not seriously, they weren't in Walmart. But they were available everywhere. And so such a big deal was that they were the first ones in the States to apply copyrights to their furniture. And they stamp... Um, original Quaker Shaker chair because there were so many people making knockoffs and didn't want to encroach in on that. One other thing about Shakers that was really unusual, their furniture, their lifestyle, was that they practiced celibacy. That's it. No sex. Married or not, no sex. No babies. There were tens of thousands of shakers in the original movement. People would join because they ordered, they, they presented a structured lifestyle which was open and tolerant and all those things we talk about today. And people wanted to be a part of that. They would join with their families and children and they would grow up and practice celibacy. And that was the rule that they did not tolerate breaking. Today, there are two. Because they didn't believe in sex, which meant no babies. Like I said earlier, when you get rid of that divine imperative, reproduce, you will die. It took some time because people continued to join. But because there were no babies, because there was no need or desire to reproduce, the faith simply died. Like I said, and these are 2019 numbers, there were two shakers in the world. Sad, isn't it, that such fine people with such fine ideas and ideologies that could have taught us a lot had this quirk 
that they rejected the idea of reproducing. And so they ceased to exist. You see, this is one of the things that we have to remember. When we violate God's teachings, when we resist God's teachings, we suffer the consequences. Typically, we die. Not necessarily a liter literal death, but there's an emotional loss. There's a spiritual loss. And if we deny that imperative to reproduce, well, whatever group we're a part of ceases to exist. Early Christian leaders understood this. They'd never heard of the Shakers, of course. They were centuries before. But they understood that we must reproduce Christians. Else, we will die. So we're going to read a story of their ideas of this. Follow along with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 4. Kind of a long passage. Acts chapter 4. I'll begin at verse, let's say verse, beginning at verse 1. And this picks up after a miracle. And there was a miracle. Peter and John made a lame man, born lame from birth, made him to walk. It was a miracle. And then they took the opportunity to preach about Jesus and people were getting saved. And everybody was upset about this. This is changing everything. So this is where the story picks up. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on him and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came about on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be made known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Jesus was a real threat. At least he had been. You remember the story. Jesus preached this ministry of repentance and turning towards God. Challenged everybody to follow him as Messiah. He made the wrong people angry and they killed him, hung him on the cross. You remember the story. And then, of course, there was 
the resurrection. And then Peter's life was changed. John's life was changed. The disciples' life was changed. And they literally burned with this message of Jesus. In days to come, they would perform all sorts of miracles. This was just one of them. And they had the audacity to think that on the basis of this story, they had to explain. So they raised the man born lame. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew this man. And they performed a bona fide miracle. No incantations, no incense, no special offerings. Think of that. And said, stand up and walk. And he did. And they challenged the man. He said, I can do it. I can walk. What happened? Well, those people healed me. And they couldn't do anything about it. And they couldn't shut up these preachers. So they threw them in jail. That's what you do when you can't shut someone up. You put them in jail. And then they said, you know, and we read the conversation. So the people who were in charge, who had shut these people up, said, you know, we, we can't just lock them up forever. We can't kill them. Everybody knows the story. We're just going to do this. We're just going to make them promise not to talk about Jesus anymore. And send them on their way and that'll fix it. And their response was, whether or not it's right to follow you or not, I'm going to let you worry about that. But we're going to talk about Jesus. And in that moment, they declare their conviction to follow the words of Jesus about reproduction. We're going to make more Christians. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to talk about what we've seen. We're going to talk about what we've heard. And we're going to make sure that people get a chance to follow the resurrected Christ. Folks, that is that burden to reproduce that has allowed the church to thrive over the centuries. So on screen is this main idea, a living faith. This faith that is alive will give us a desire to bring others to faith in Jesus. Verse 20 is on screen. Read this with me if you would. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We can't stop talking about it. It's interesting if you talk to people, you find out pretty quickly what they're into. You know what I'm talking about. If someone's into music, they're going to talk about music. I mean, even if it's not the subject of the conversation, it's going to come up, isn't it? If they're into motorcycles or guns or dresses or whatever, it doesn't matter what the conversation's about. Eventually, it's going to come up because it's what drives them. For the people in this story, they couldn't talk about anything without Jesus coming up. He drove them. And this drove the church to literally explode. Now you saw in the story that they healed a man. And then Peter took the opportunity to preach Jesus. And thousands, it said 5,000 men of the crowd got saved. Now in ancient cultures, don't be offended about this. But in ancient culture, they did not count women. Because they didn't count. It's just a cultural thing. 5,000 men meant probably at least 5,000 women and some children so 5,000 men were saved that day and probably a whole bunch of women. Thousands of people got saved in one day. Before Billy Graham, before video, before music that we would know recognize anyway and all those things. Thousands of people got saved because somebody had to talk about Jesus. So think about this. Is there anything we can learn from these two loudmouth preachers that would not be stopped? 
Because that's what people said about him. Oh, those guys, they will not shut up. What are we going to do? We got to stop them. So think about it. Would anyone ever say of you, you know, no matter where we are, they always talk about Jesus? Probably not. We're more socially acceptable. And I understand some of that restraint. I've understood that, you know, I'm a preacher and people know I'm a preacher. And for some reason they say, you look like a preacher. And I used to think that as an insult, but, you know, I'm growing into it. My belly's getting bigger and all those kinds of things. You know, because, you know. Preachers are known for bringing up Jesus. And no one really wants that in a family gathering or in a social situation. So you become sensitive to that. But think about this. What would it be like if Christians were so excited about Jesus that we actually brought him up in conversations? And I don't mean beat people up with the gospel or whack them with a Bible. You know, the typical thing. If people were just gracious and kind and said, you know, Jesus has changed my life. Think of people that you love. Think of people that you can't stomach. Think of people whose lives are a train wreck. Think of people whose lives are in good shape. Are they all Christian? I'm talking about people that are in your circle of contacts. People that I will never meet. People that you can't shove off on the preacher. You know what I mean. You know, when someone needs help, you always shove them off on the preacher. That's part of our job. We get it. But there are people in your life that need Jesus, aren't there? And I will never meet them. You will never get them into church. They're not interested, etc., etc. Sometimes you love them. Sometimes you loathe them. But they all need Jesus, don't they? One time my wife created a stir at work. She was a preacher's wife. You know, she's a good gal and you know it. And so she was at work in one of the offices at Liberty School System. And they were talking about a group of people that were causing problems in the school. And they had been in that building and there were some parents and just really unpleasant people. And they asked Tammy, and, they, and it was one of those discussions in the office. And so there were two or three teachers and administrators and office workers. There were probably 10 or 15 people. And it went on and on. And my wife, being the wise woman she is, did not contribute to the conversation. Because it was a ragging gossip thing. And you know how people can be. And they were all fine. All Christian for the most part. And they asked Tammy, what do you think about these people? And she said, well, I don't know, but they probably need Jesus. And they all bust out laughing. And then they said, you're right. Now that doesn't mean they necessarily witnessed to them. But it had never occurred to that group that these people who were objectionable and obnoxious and petty needed Jesus. So Tammy, in her own way, did a pretty powerful thing that day, didn't she? Sometimes we need to realize that it's not all easy. That sometimes people are the way they are for lots of reasons. And sometimes we need to develop this idea. We cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. You and I know something. Not only do we know something, we know someone, don't we? We know Jesus. Jesus doesn't necessarily fix obnoxious people. I wish he did. Because I'd sick him on a bunch of people. Right? Because they're out there. They're at family gatherings. They're at other churches. See how I did that? You know, there are people out there that need Jesus because they are obnoxious and they don't understand. 
But what we need to understand is, it's our job. And one of the things that is up to us is, figure out how to present the message. On screen is this idea that people need us. Follow this verse with me if you would. Read it with me. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without one who proclaims? People need to hear. So the next idea is this truth. If we can go to that next screen please. An effective witness for Jesus includes the essential elements of the gospel. A long time ago, it actually only been a few years, there was a story in the news. You know that California is a place where almost 70% of the produce in America is grown. I mean, it's just amazing. And a few years ago is when the beehive colony disorder was coming on. And you remember what that is. The bees were dying. And so the bees in the California area had all gotten whatever was killing them. And they were just dying literally by the millions. And they didn't know what they were going to do. Finally, there was an interview with a farmer who had figured out what to do. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rent me some bees. And they said, what? And I didn't know this at the time. But there are people who raise hundreds of millions of bees for rent. And they have these bee farms. And they grow hundreds of thousands of hives and when a farmer needs bees they rent them. They load a diesel truck with beehives and the queen and they go there and they open the doors and they bring out the hives and then the truck drives away. The owner of the bees drives away and the bees are there for about a month and the bees do what bees do. They fly around, buzz, buzz, buzz. They drink the nectar and in that process they pollinate the plants. You probably know this, that if all bees died, we would too. Because they pollinate literally everything. If you eat something that's grown, it's been pollinated by a bee more than likely. Turns out that you can have good soil, good water, good fertilizer, good workers, and everything else. But without the bees, nothing happens. You see, bees aren't essential. So I started thinking about this essential thing to reproduce. If bees are essential to reproduce crops, what would be essential to reproduce Christians? So on screen are some of those essentials. First is what we saw in the story, a changed life. It is essential for us to make sense of the gospel by living or pointing to changed lives. People aren't really out there to spend time on Sunday morning in uncomfortable pews listening to old music. No offense. That's just not a thing. People want something. And if they're going to do anything inconvenient or different, they're going to have to be shown that there's a reason. So one of the essentials is, Christians, we need to be able to point to something or someone or maybe demonstrate by our own example that our lives are better or different. Now, that's not to say that we are better than them. That's not it. Are our lives better because we follow Jesus? Are we more gracious? Are we more kind? Are we more encouraging and uplifting and those kinds of things? Are we better people, better than we used to be? That's what people need to see. That's one of those essentials. Because a nice building and perfect hair... And good music isn't enough, is it? 
people have to see a reason. Change lives. Another thing, essential beliefs. Christians have to be able to show that there are some things that are essential. In other words, you don't get to be a Christian and experience the salvation in Jesus and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those things don't come just because you're a nice person. There are nice people everywhere. There are nice people who are separated from God in their sin. And they're wonderful people. It's not the issue, is it? What we have to learn to do is stress that there are certain things that you must accept and receive. You must accept the idea that Jesus was crucified and resurrected Son of God. The gospel story. Without that crucifixion and resurrection, there is no salvation. Peter said that. Jesus said that. Luke said it. Paul said it. Anybody who authored anything in the New Testament says the same. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. So that's one of those essential beliefs. Crucifixion and resurrection. Essential belief. The idea of repentance, of turning away from sin. That's an essential belief. God really doesn't care what style of music you like. He doesn't really care whether you wear a coat and tie or a leisure suit or jeans and a t-shirt. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you're listening to country music or jazz. He doesn't care. But he does care about the kind of life you live. And one of the most important things, one of those essentials when you show people Jesus is that you love people. Show of hands. Would you want to join a club where people were mean-spirited and gripey? I would. No, you wouldn't. No one wants to join a, a group of people that are gripey and whine and complain. No one does that. And yet sometimes in churches, people become people who do nothing but gripe and complain about people who aren't just like them. Folks, we've got to be different. One of the essentials is that we show them that there is a life worth living, a life that's better than what we've been living before. We have to show them that we are loving I've said this before, but by the end of the third century in Rome, the church had gone from this small group of people who followed Christus to a group that literally dominated the social scene. In 300 years, the largest empire that had ever been on the planet was dominated by the church. This was before Catholicism. There were just Christians everywhere. And they were doing wonderful things. They were feeding the poor and helping the hungry and taking care of orphans and all these things. And, and it was just really overwhelming the governmental services group. And so the leader said, we need to appoint a study. And they did this. And they had a governmental study group. And they went throughout the Roman Empire and studied what was up with the church. And the official answer was, here's the belief systems. And this is what they do. The belief system was the gospel. Crucified, resurrected Son of God. And the ministry was, they loved people and took care of them. That's it. Nothing revolutionary. They loved people and took care of them. And people were desperate to be a part of that. When we read in the story, Peter and John talking about these things and we hear about this lame man born with bad legs from birth and he said I don't know how they did it but those two they raised me people saw something they wanted 
When you want to reach people for Jesus, you can't just throw a Bible tract at them. You can't just do that easy stuff like praying for them at a Bible meeting and never talking to them. You can't do that. You can't do it incognito. You can't do it anonymously. What you need to do with your friends and family and, and all those other folks is somewhere along the way, treat them graciously, love them, and then make an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Yes, invite them to church. And when they say, well, why would I go to church? Tell them. Because Jesus has changed my life. And I'm better because of that. And start there. On screen is a very simple statement. God wants everyone to be saved. And his people are his way of bringing more people into the faith. Not more preachers. Just more people. Every one of you is a minister. You've been given the responsibility of sharing your faith in Jesus. Every one of you has what it takes. It may scare you, make you uncomfortable. Get past that. And learn to talk about Jesus. And let people know what he's done for you. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation and decision. While we sing this hymn, the goal is to recognize how we can follow Jesus. How we can bring others to faith in Jesus. How maybe we can cause such a stir that people would notice. Stand with me if you would and sing this song and make those decisions that will allow Jesus to work within you and use you. As I said earlier, Dave will be bringing the morning message next week, so I encourage you to come and hear the word from a different voice. And Mike's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. Mike? Father, be with us now as we go. And keep and protect us from harm. And help us, Father, to do a good deed this week for someone else. And help us to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.